News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. We had elections in New York City. A bunch of people actually turned out. Nearly 20%, it looks like. Uh, which was cool, especially because there were no competitive elections. Um, they were everyone, important. The, everyone who was going to win won. All the uh, ballot proposals passed and with about the same level of support as people are like, yeah, sure, whatever. So here we are to discuss and break it down with Chrissy Greer, Ben Max, and Alex Lynn. Let's get right to it. <laughs> so it's election day in New York. Tuesday evening, uh, once again, FAQ is here with our regular Election Day special guest, uh, Ben Max of Gotham Gazette and the uh, excellent Max and Murphy podcast, hopefully back on the radio soon. Um, Christina Greer, Alex Lynn, etc. This is a very exciting night because it was a sham election. Um, <laughs> we got up to 20% turnout almost, it appears, which is nice. Uh, people are bothering to try and participate even when there's not a goddamn thing to vote for. I disagree. Um, I was shocked by the high turnout. Uh, same. Because there, there was not a competitive thing to vote for. Uh, for judges, I had five judges oh. for five seats. And every <laughs> single one of the five judges, I'm guessing this is you if you voted, was running as a Democrat, a Republican, and a conservative. Um, so I wrote in, fuck you. Uh, this is not a democracy for that. Yeah, that was bogus, and that's annoying. However, the public advocate is the number two person in the city. It is an important job, even if it's not funded, even if you disagree with that. And also, I would say ballot measures one and two. I would say all five ballot measures actually and are worth thinking attorneys. about it. And the district attorneys. The Those DS, are big offices in, in Queens, Bronx and Queens. Like, that's a huge – well, first of all, the Bronx – this is another conversation about people running unopposed, and I think it'll have repercussions for 2021. But I, definitely in Queens, when we saw this knockout, dragout primary. Um, so I know that the general wasn't as exciting as the primary, but I still think it's really important for us to recognize that the Queens DA is a very powerful position, and the public advocate is an important position, and how we think about ranked choice voting. That could change who our next mayor is. Probably will. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm a little surprised two things. One, that Darcel Clark ran unopposed in the Bronx. I would mm-hmm. think that in this atmosphere, it, it, it's almost like the timing was just a slightly off for like the active mm-hmm. progressives to really find a candidate and run somebody. Um, but it, there was still enough lead time for somebody like a Tiffany Caban, maybe not with her, you know, skill set as a politician, but for them to find somebody to run against Darcel Clark in the I Bronx. I have a question, though. Uh, actually, I'm pretty interested in, to hear your guys' opinion on all this. Um, what new progressives are coming up in the Bronx? There's very little movement there for some of like for the DSA. Like I, I really just haven't heard a lot about the DSA or uh, any kind of like young progressive movement up in the Bronx. There's a little bit happening. There's been even before the DSA really got going. There were some progressive candidates who ran for city council seats in the last couple of cycles. Actually, didn't do very well, but you had challenges. When Ruben Diaz Sr. won his city council seat, when Mark Joni won his city council seat, some of those races were actually fairly close. And so I think that's all brewing for the next city cycle. District attorney can also be the kind of race where it's hard to to get that type of momentum going as opposed to a city council um, race, I think. But I have not a question, for Melinda though. Katz, right? <laughs> but wow. I have a question before we move to Melinda with Darcel. Do you think she benefited from descriptive representation when it comes to sort of a DSA challenger 
where you have sort of a, a woman of color. Maybe that I mean, wasn't sort of challenged by kind of these young whippersnappers who well, seem to go out after the, establishment candidates. Right. Well, well, you know, I don't. She's just I, not been I'm, in the office not, long enough for them to sort of see her as an establishment. There might candidate. be a little bit of that, a little bit of both of the things you said, but also, you know. A, the Bronx currently has the strongest Democratic Party machinery of any of any county, of any borough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's relative. It's all relative, but that's relative. You know, it's all – they're all hurting a bit and, and waning. But um, the Bronx has the strongest county party in part because Carl Hasty, mm-hmm. you know, essentially is still the party boss and he's the assembly speaker, a very powerful position. So there's something because- to that. The health remains the uh, biggest employer, which is sort of an extension of the government. There's not really a functioning full private sector that, that spans the, the borough. And so like the sort of outside interests who can press against a machine or, or even shape one are largely absent there. Like it, it, it's well, – Also, we've seen DSA and and – you know, even the extensions of the Working Families Party really take off in some of the more gentrified areas of Brooklyn and Queens, and we don't have that much of that in the Bronx. So that's another note. Yep. And the other thing that that then gets me thinking about, and you look at the turnout even this election, the Bronx turnout is so low compared mm-hmm. to the other boroughs. Yeah, always. And I'll, I'll say right now that just portends terribly for Ruben Diaz Jr. I mean, we're a ways away. I know we're not here to talk about that, but but I, you but know, I mean, we have to I, talk about when that I look at those election proposal one affects him. When I look at that turnout, one of the first things that pops to mind is Ruben Diaz Jr. is going to be in some trouble. So Ruben Diaz Sr. is looking like good for Congress in a distressing way because there are all of these real progressive challengers in the field, and he is the only uh, totally retrograde. A horrific character with the whole lane to himself. His son, meantime, I had this incredible push pull. But he also knows how to do retail politics, and he yes. knows his district yes. very well. And he has a constituent service operation that is an old school machine politics that explains mm-hmm. how he went from Albany to city council and will most likely go to DC. I got the phone call and rang. I picked up. They're like, "We're doing a poll. Do you want to participate?" Always. <laughs> so so I get like 17 questions in and it's like, uh, who do you like uh, for mayor? And, uh, do you like Scott Stringer? Wow. Do you like Corey Johnson? And do you like Eric Adams? Um, mm. And uh, do you like Ruben Diaz Jr.? And do you like Ruben Diaz Sr.? And do you like Ruben Diaz mixed in? I'm like, interesting. Interesting. Mm. And this keeps going and they keep asking about Jr. and Sr. and just playing old Ruben Diaz. And then at the end of it, they have this whole series of questions. Do you think that it's a problem that Ruben Diaz Jr. is like a good and loving son who uh, won't betray his father because of the political animals? I'm like, well. I'm like, I'm assuming that's not verbatim. Uh, It's pretty close. (laughs) Um, It was just remarkable. So so this was obviously Diaz Jr. polling and like working out that set of questions. Um, Well, we know Ruben Diaz Sr. hates rats. I mean, here's – listen. I talked to um, a reporter last week where I said – I don't see Diaz Sr. as a liability for Diaz Jr. the way I once did. I think totally that in agree, the era yeah. of Trump, there are so many New Yorkers who have the same family structure where it's like, this man who I love, who raised me to be a good person and love diverse sets of people, is a raging homophobe, and he, he doesn't believe in choice, and like he's retrograde on so many levels, but he's still my dad. I love him. I don't understand how he's this way, and I'm that way, but we're still a family, and sometimes Thanksgiving gets awkward. That's like 90% of New Yorkers. 
who were just like, yeah, I've got diverse friends of all different stripes, but like my parents are kind of a disappointment in this political moment. But my dad's not an elected official. And I could actually say some some interesting <laughs> yes. parallel things. Hey, dad. Um, <laughs> and we, we do have those arguments, but but I, I think that, 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 that is uh, – makes it a little harder to dodge. This does get us in a very nice way to propositions yes. uh, and proposition one and rank choice voting, which uh, I, I, I think some of the candidates running for mayor are very excited about because suddenly you have a complicated system which you get to write down all the people you like. And if the first person you like is out, your choice, uh, your vote would go to the second person to uh, clumsy summarize this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be this is going to be a very interesting educational process for New Yorkers. And I think it's important to start learning now ahead of 2021. But, you know, we, we have some time to get up to speed. Um, I mean, the, the biggest thing, it's going to be very self-evident for people to rank their choices. The complicated part is going to be understanding how the choices, you know, the right. votes then get reallocated to get to a winner. Right, how, but how here's did the you thing. just retweet me without a phone in your hey, hand? Hey, you 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 have to catch me. I'm looking at you this guy. To, yeah, <laughs> watch well, watch think, my hand. As I said tonight on New York One, I think that we can put together a quick little cartoon slash PSA mm. that explains what happens. I think journalists on Twitter need to stop making jokes about what ranked choice voting means and what early voting means because that's inappropriate because it's confusing people. Okay. So I think it's, you know, we all need to like buckle up and be real about the fact that there are a lot of people who do not know about early voting, right? They don't know that if you vote on on Monday, then you cannot vote again on Wednesday. A lot of people don't understand what ranked choice voting is. So it's up to journalists to make sure that they are clear and concise in explaining to the public what it is. And I actually think that, you know, probably I'll teach urban politics and have my students make some PSAs for various communities. But, I, I mean, we have time. We've got two years. Yeah. I mean, we put the damn man on the moon. I think we can figure <laughs> out ranked choice voting. Are you like, are you subtweeting David Brand, former FAQ listen, guest, and his uh, vote a bunch of times? Yeah, tweet? and he's smart as hell. IRL. But, like, it's really irresponsible to joke about certain things when we know that a lot of the public does not know. There are people who are genuinely, genuinely asking, like, so if I vote early, can I vote on November 5th? And the answer was no. You can only vote once. That was a genuine question. People weren't trying to break the law, but they, they'd never done it before, right? I mean, New York is, what, 38th in voting equity out of all 50 states? So when it comes to ranked choice voting, we're going to have to be very clear in our language to make sure that we don't joke around like, oh, yeah, you can vote for like 20 people and then like, you know, the top 15 are automatically in. That's not how it's going to work. So there we are. I have a question for Ben about this. I was just tweeting. That's my nighttime rant. Chatting with uh, Flack, who was very sad about Proposition 1. It's like good for democracy, bad for Flax because I need a foil, right? And it's hard to have a foil for your candidate Mm. if you want to be – if you're really running in a five-way field, if you really need to look for support more broadly, uh, which is the hope with ranked choice voting, that, that, that you have to go uh, go out more widely. Right. This, this was the pitch. Yeah. I, I see you looking skeptical. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean I get it, but I also think in a five or six or seven candidate field, you can always pick somebody to juxtapose your, your candidate with. And we know that People choose the president or lots of other boogie people to run against that are not in their in their candidate field. So, I mean, I, I do sort of get that. You often in an election want to set up your candidate with their main 
you know, most likely other top competitors or something like that. And this might, might alter that. But so Corey Johnson back this, he, he'd mm-hmm. like to run for mayor. Like who, who, who thinks this is going to help them in 2021? Or is it just too early to even start mapping that out? <sighs> My guess is that all of the major candidates think it will help them because they all, if you're in politics and you think you're going to be mayor, you think you're likable enough to either be everybody's first choice or second choice. Um, I don't know that I'm able to game this out at this point. I mean, I, I could see it. I could see it favoring a variety of, of these top contenders that we talked about. We also don't know what the field's going to look like yet. Right. So we have these four guys who we know are pretty much know are going to run. And then we don't know who else might be in it. So, and it will not be I, all tough. guys. I think, done. yeah, I mean, well, that'll be very interesting to see. Um, my, one of one of the things that I keep coming back to is that it's it's I think it's pretty advantageous to Scott Stringer because I think Scott Stringer, for many people, will be like the safe second choice. You know, I'm excited about Corey Johnson. Or I'm excited about Eric Adams or Ruben Diaz Jr. And then, oh, here's this guy who's been the controller. He's been around. He's experienced. He's got plans. He's my second choice. Mm-hmm. Not to be funny, but who one. is excited about Eric Adams exactly? Well, we'll Too see. I mean, people maybe there's many people. There's mm-hmm. right. Well, he's gonna have. He's going after a moderate lane of you know people who want to like grab guns and take them to the synagogue, <laughs> bring, <folks. laughs> bring their guns to church people. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't know how active. I mean, I think. People will be very into this next mayoral election. So I don't know how active the sort of um, more moderate Democrats will be, but he's going to go after them on issues related to public safety, even development to an extent um, and other things. And and so he's also going to be pitching to be the second black mayor of New York mm-hmm. City, which is nothing mm-hmm. to sniff at, while Ruben Diaz Jr. will be pitching to be the first uh, Latino mayor of New York City. So those are going to be some fascinating Right, right after lines. Bill de Blasio now has – Dermot Shea as the newest. <laughs> I'm beginning to think Irishman. that there's a bias. <laughs> so rank choice voting, I think, is going to be fascinating. You mentioned a, a flack, you know, the the sort of consulting class and the labor unions and the you know the, all the folks that are really invested in these elections are going to have to totally rethink. Yeah, their how, strategies do, how does one now, endorse? Right, endorsements. Uh, I mean, how does 1199 get- choose? Who they, do they say like I really like Ben, but Harry's not bad. Like I mean, we've seen that we've we've seen a little bit of um you know we give our approval to these two candidates. Um, I you know usually choices are made, but you know we've seen some of that, and I think that'll be interesting too. What kind of alliances yeah. pop up? You know, I don't know Bill in New York Blas, City yeah. politics. I don't know when, when so he became mayor of New York. Oh, like under half a million votes, I think, because he basically won a primary that was the election, which we had even more of this year. And I think that that, that is generally a problem. It's a crowded primary. And he did very well in it. Um, but Bill de Blasio was running what was effectively the first iteration of the current campaign finance system because Mike Bloomberg was like, uh, yeah, I'm a billionaire. Y'all do your thing, right? <laughs> and you know, people forget like Freddie Ferrer was very competitive and Bloomberg was under 40% when he basically started spending for his re-election and they spent $87 million on the books, probably over $100 million. And, and then by the time the election happened, it didn't even count. So it's interesting that we're going to have a whole new test run now with ranked choice where nobody knows who's going to be able to sneak in. And de Blasio snuck in. He got all of this separate money through NICLAS, uh, through his, uh, his cousin, still Wilhelm. Who um who who at the time was 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 top of unite 
mm-hmm. um, and figured out how to game that system. And he hurt Quinn with early ads when Quinn was trying to play within it and didn't realize you could do these things. This is going to be another instance in which somebody might be smarter about how this new game is played before anyone else realizes it. I also think the weird thing with 2021, I'm thinking about a lot now, is we're not going to know a goddamn thing until – I'm sorry. We're not going to know a fucking thing until uh, until we see what happens with Donald Trump next year. That really sadly our elections at this point, our local contests are so downstream as everything is – as Washington, everything has become more polarized. That how police reform plays out, whether or not that's hit a wall. And I'm thinking about that a lot now with O'Neill deciding to leave and pretty abruptly it appears – Right after we had this big fair protest on Friday that got very rowdy and allowed people who are are against uh, the police reform or anti-police movement, depending on whose frame you're accepting. Um, you know, uh, th- there's been a lot of momentum there. And I, I, this seemed to have been a, a OK, this is enough moment. I've, I've wrote out the Garner thing and here we are. But anyways, it, it just it seems to me like like. What issues are at play and, and how this election plays out is everything to do with, with whether or not we're, we're in a second term of a resistance to Trump or there's some restoration of actual New York politics and the things that are at stake here, I think. I don't know. I, you know, I, I mean, it sounds reasonable to me, but if for a New York City mayoral election, that's all focused on the Democratic primary unless we see somebody somehow emerge that's like a Mike Bloomberg for the general. I just don't. I don't know that that Trump or not makes that big a difference in the Democratic primary for New York City mayor. I mean, it, it certainly will have an effect, but I'm not sure that it's so determinative, you know, how voters start to react to these four guys and whoever else is in the field. Well, I maybe. think I think what maybe it's not the Trump piece that I'm concerned about. It's how do the Democrats on the national scale sort themselves out? as far as the factions that exist within the Democratic Party. Are we going to choose a nominee that's progressive? Are we going to choose a nominee that's middle of the road? And somehow that trickles down. You know, God forbid, New York has sort of another incident of the domestic terrorism or terrorists in nature. That also dictates Mm -hmm. what kind of leadership folks want. Do they want to go sort of law and order route, a la Eric Adams, or do you want to go more financial, the way Bloomberg was like, listen, let's just make sure people don't leave and make this money. So... Well, listen, if Bernie Sanders is the next president, oh, right, Lord then the it. DSA – I'm an independent, but I run as a Democrat. <laughs> Why? How? Because he, he because his hair is great and <laughs> like, his and his dude, suits are rumpled. Go be with your family. You are but that would give years old. immense momentum to that wing of the party. They might try to run their own mayoral candidate either right. way. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, listen, that election will av- absolutely have an impact. I, um, I'm going to say that, that but, but protest. But the parochial interests are so important in New York City that, you know. I wouldn't say that that protest had nothing to do with a, a little bit of the voter turnout and uh, ballot question number two. Um, th- there was a lot of momentum. Gwen Carr was out talking about the question, talking about voting yes on two. Um, and especially with the MTA protests, especially with all those kids, you know, going through the turnstiles, you know, a m- fair amount of them turned out that wouldn't have otherwise. Pat Lynch and the police unions more broadly, like, were really emphatic against two, which gives marginal new powers to the CCRB, which has been crippled on purpose since it was created, which is the police have had this rearguard war against it before it existed and since it's existed. But look, we had five ballot proposals. We had ranked choice voting, CCRB. Mumble jumble, um, some some Ethics. bullshit. 
uh, ethics and uh, land use. And, and three, four, and five were like 17 different things mm-hmm. mushed together that made no damn sense, and you get to vote yes or no. They were also <laughs> small ball enough that like, meh. But I would point out that all five, and this is what I mean by, by having a garbage democracy, which I think is, is really worrisome. All five passed by very similar margins, right? And and big ones. As people are like, yeah, people sh- went in sure. and voted, well, yeah, all vote, yes, yes or all no. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I will say this: that's, that's not the people that voted for you know the Republican candidate in the Queens DA race, right. Joe Murray, Joe Borelli in the public advocate race. You know they and they voted no. no on they the voted no government, and, right? You know, and everyone else voted yeah, sure, government. But we do have healthy. to figure out a few things. One. We have we can't have seven point font. That's just that's criminal. Wow. Two, we have to the way they're written, it has to be way more succinct. Like we cannot have this convoluted way of explaining important concepts to voters. And three, the next time we have these proposals on the ballot, we can't have sort of five proposals within one proposal because when I, I was reading ballot, I think either crazy. three or four proposal three yeah. or four. I slightly disagreed with one of the paragraphs. And then I was like, well, but overall, I guess I agree with the, the first four paragraphs, so I'll just vote yes. I would because... be much more in favor of like 12 brief yes or no questions yes. than the five with the groups. Um, maybe the CCRV stuff makes sense to group together. You know, question one had ranked choice voting in a couple other small election-related things. Maybe that makes sense to put together. But the stuff in, in three and four – Three and four were were just not good hodgepodge. Four, you know, it was budget stuff, but those still should have been separate because if you – and again, this gets into the weedy stuff that I love, but like, you know, is not – Go, go. Into the weeds. Question four, if you want the city to be able to have this rainy day budget fund, which budget experts say is an important thing Mm -hmm. and would, you know, reverse some of the stuff that, you know, came out of the – fiscal crisis of the 70s and and would still need state approval, it's good for the city to be allowed to have a rainy day fund for its budget. If you believe that, you might not want the public advocate and the borough presidents to have these, quote unquote, independent budgets that are set in the charter. But then what do you do? Right. right? So those two things should not have been grouped together. I could give other examples from the ballot that you're you're talking about. Number um, three seemed pretty simple to me, but like just like if you work for the government after one year, instead of it being one year before you can lobby all your ex colleagues, you it's yeah. it's there two were years. A whole bunch of other totally distinct proposals there. Um, Advice friend, and consent for the yeah. corporation council yeah. again, very in the weeds, but this is a big deal. This is the top lawyer for the city, and we just got a new one who's like, I'm not just worried about defensive suits. We're gonna punch Trump in the nose. Tube is we're awesome. Bill de Blasio, by the way, who's a bullshit man, um, kept saying there's 17 things you can vote on, yeah. right? No. Which, which was true, but you right. only got five, you five, only got five, five votes. votes. One, two, three, well, four, I mean, and five. To That's be crazy. fair, Harry, he wasn't here. He doesn't know. It was unbelievable to me that the mayor of New York City did not a know, like clearly the know what was going to be on the ballot. Seventeen, and B didn't tell New Yorkers what he thought of them. When we we decided to write an article just about the fact that he was dodging those questions right. because, on his usual Brian Lair and his usual Lewis interviews, they both asked him, and he decided he wouldn't even weigh in. It was unbelievable. Uh, and then he didn't even know how to describe it to voters, saying mm-hmm. there's 19 different questions, he said. I mean, Well, Ben, to be fair, terrible. he hasn't been here when we were having those conversations. Yeah, well, he, had, he wasn't he in had those a pointy, He had appointees to the commission, and was his administration was involved enough that they tried to water down part of the CCRB reforms, mm-hmm. um, which, along with ranked choice voting, are the most significant mm-hmm. pieces. 
even though they don't revolutionize the CCRB, they're, I, I, they're I, one of them is big in the CCRB thing, and it's getting a little overlooked. Which is so. So the one that's going to be discussed the most is that the CCRB can investigate officers who lie to the CCRB, which seems like the very very limit of like a viable investigative body, mm-hmm. right? That they we've still had have for no decades. punitive powers over punishment. But, but when you get to punishment, what the requirement is, and this is new, and when you look at 50A, which we've <laughs> talked about a lot in officer secrecy and these parts, what generally happens is the CCRB recommends something and then the commissioner just ignores it and does something else. And he's now going to have to disclose in writing his reasons for doing that. Now, I understand that that writing will be boilerplate, but having to do that and having a written record there and seeing that delta, which has happened under every commissioner and is significant. Often, you know, the CCRB will be recommending something real, occasionally termination, often like, like significant loss of vacation days, and then somebody gets retraining. And having a record of that that we can go back to, but there's been no record up until now, I think is actually going to be a, a significant step and, and create new but information we haven't had. But doesn't Dermot Shea... <laughs> Love record keeping and data, so would that bode well for the CCRB? But police always love – it just comes with the job and the commissioner's job in particular, right? You, you, you want to have all sorts of data. You want to control it very closely. You also use it as a managerial tool, which is where the unions and the leadership always diverge. Um, but – you don't want to uh, share it or have most of it be open source mm-hmm. because you want to be able to, to put out the, 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 the parts that seem compelling. And, and like with the reformers, the police themselves simply don't know exactly what, 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 how, how what they're doing relates to where the crime rate is. And that, that's always been I've, complicated on all sides of the issue. I have a question for you guys. So does this – now, I know we've talked about 50A a lot, but in effect it allows uh, cops to uh, have their record um, of wrongdoing or otherwise kind of sealed off. Now, would the CCRB be able to kind of go over 50A, like kind of go around 50A with these new investigative powers? No. What, what the CCRB has done or staffers who formerly worked for the CCRB has done – it's been like this system is insane. We know these things are happening and they have leak records. Um, this has not been the, the formal body has, although notably the formal body was weighing in on Twitter on the proposal, mm. which Joe Borelli was asking about. And like, like, is that is that OK and appropriate? It probably is. Actually, I think they have to have, you know, people in their own private time or people are willing to be fired putting some of this out. But well, the, the CCRB decided that the police Benevolent Association, the biggest police officer union, was distorting what the ballot proposals were saying. And so without specifically endorsing the ballot proposal, they were saying the police union is telling, quote unquote, myths. We are out here today to remind Staten Islanders and New York in general to vote no on Proposition 2. This is the proposition that involves the expansion of power of the CCRB. Uh, otherwise known as the kangaroo court that makes uh, the job of police officers far more difficult than it already is uh, and what it needs to be. New Yorkers are going to be asked to vote on five ballot proposals. The rest of them are innocuous. You might want to vote no on all of them. The rest of them are innocuous. You might want to vote no on all of them. The CCRB is not about police accountability. There is no need for more accountability of any police officer in general. So they were very much towing a dangerous line there. And I think, uh, you know, but that's like when that's your pastor worth- is like Ben Max is a wonderful person and you really have to wonder about Harry Siegel, you know, <laughs> but make your own choices. Right. And we're still keeping oh, our yeah, tax no, exemption. Absolutely. 
Right. No, we, we, we interviewed uh, the executive director of the CCRB and he said, you know, he said, well, I can't really weigh in on the proposals, but I'll tell you how they would help us, you know? Right, right. So if you like police, you know, being held accountable, here's what they would do. So yeah, of course you, you put your thumb on the scale. Pat Lynch campaigning against uh, number two was one of the most hilarious Pat Lynch moments I've, I've heard in a while. On November 5th, we have to decide where this city is going safety wise. Are we going to continue to pile on New York City police officers and criticize police officers for doing their job effectively that you asked us to do? We need you to vote no on proposition number two on the ballot. CCRB is not a fair process. It's used as a tool to punish police officers by the criminal element. CCRB is staffed by incompetent people that are criminal advocates who are there to punish police officers unreasonably for doing their job. The police officers that are your neighbors, they're in your church, they're in your synagogue, they're in your mosque, they're waiting for the bus along with you. Can we do Pat Lynch voices around the table? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pass. <laughs> we've got cops in your churches. We've <laughs> got ver- if, your you're a, if you're a normal person, you'll take the ferry. I mean, he was really just on a <laughs> nonsense tear. <laughs> We have – I mean I know this is not the results of the election tonight, but because the CCRB is involved, we're talking obviously just after this change in police commissioner. This is pretty much always the case with the NYPD, but the list of sort of challenges or questions in front of de Blasio slash Dermot Shea as police commissioner is is immense right now. And the fact that the CCRB is beefed up a little bit just sort of adds to the mix of sort of the questions around where this police department is headed. Well, I think it also adds to a potential headache for the mayor that he's just not interested in having. Yeah, I mean, listen, we saw this stuff around the the fair evasion enforcement. That was led by Cuomo, right, and the MTA. But de Blasio has repeatedly been asked about this idea of hiring 500 more MTA police officers and repeatedly said, oh, yeah, we welcome it. Yeah. It's a good thing. But you remember he so did that So he's right there in concert. You remember well. he, he did it before when he had the a, police union was like, can we have like 20? He's like, I'll give you 1,200. It's like, wait, what? So just just to separate, we have um, – there was a push for – when de Blasio was trying to win back peace with the police, they wanted so many more new police and he added to that number in a budget deal he reached with the city council. Then, the more and that, was, that was a city council yeah. push yeah. Yeah. More because than Melissa Mark Viverito, the speaker of the city council at the time, to bring along her members – she was doing a bunch of criminal justice reform stuff, and I think that was her deal, right? We'll add police officers. We'll try to adjust policing. We'll do what they did with the Criminal Justice Reform Act, which was a pretty major piece of reform legislation to, in essence, decriminalize a bunch of low-level offenses. And we'll bolster the force. We'll add you know, a bunch of jobs to make a lot of people happy. De Blasio and his people then said, oh, now we can do neighborhood policing with the extra force. And everybody figured out a way to make them, you know, make it work. But the MTA cops, right, those are Cuomo. So that's state money. Mm -hmm. And this has been up until now a point of some tension over time with having lots more highway patrol cops in the city, MTA cops, some real tense exchanges between those forces and um, and the NYPD at different points that everyone has tried to sort of sweep up and keep quiet. So for de Blasio to sort of come in and be like, yeah, you know, more enforcement is great. And that lane, I think, is is really 
striking as um, as you were saying, Chris. Well, I think it's I think it's just dangerous. I mean, honestly, for those of us who saw that video, I mean, I talked to my students about it this week. They're borderline traumatized. Which video? The video of the 19-year-old um the J Street Metro Tech. Yeah, I'm um, like his name. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, the day before. She's on the arrest video. Uh, the arrest video where you just see uh, New York <laughs> New York residents running. Oh, to on the, the train ends itself. Of the train. Mm-hmm. What I'm blanking. I can see his name. Um, but you see them running to the opposite ends, and he stays sitting down with mm-hmm. his arms up. You know, and we realize they're running because the cops are pointing their guns at everyone through the windows of the train. So when the doors open. No fewer than 10 police rush on the subway car with guns drawn and throw this man down to the ground and just tackle him like he is, you know, in the NFL. So, but with guns drawn. So I'm just, you know, I get I, it. I, that's I a Cuomo a thing. a bunch of people saying that on Twitter. I was watching the video and, and I, I know that there were guns drawn outside the train. But in the video, did you see guns drawn? I, I, I may have just missed this, but I was Listen, looking at it pretty closely because I've seen that. And I, I know. Whenever I, I see guns, I assume that they're all... So Guns like, are scary. I mean, yeah. And but, uh, the thing is, I saw the video, to be very honest, I saw the video one time because I'm traumatized by the video. So I did not watch it over and over again to see exactly what level of holster versus holding versus putting in holster whilst approaching. And then the other occurred. the other incident was at J Street with um, this fight between teens, apparently, and there were a bunch of police there. And then this officer who apparently has had a bunch of force complaints, although we don't know his damn name, going back to this officer privacy stuff. Um, you know, Dex, Dex a kid who it does not appear had been involved in any of this and was just a kid using the train system. And, oh, it's a, a black teenagers are fighting. You know, I'm tense and my heart's beating fast and, and, and just hit someone, which is unbelievably. At least one, right? I mean, these are the things, like I was saying. Who's the kid that got tased recently in the subway? That was an entirely separate issue. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, these are the things, as I was saying, there's a long list uh, that are in front of de Blasio and Shea, which includes this beefing up of the MTA police force, but also includes, are they really going to figure out a way to get 50A reformed in Albany? Mm -hmm. Or is that just a good talking point (laughs) that nobody really wants to see move forward? Uh, It kind of has been under the radar, but after a bunch of exposés and reports, I think BuzzFeed led on this. um, O'Neill actually did a review of disciplinary practices, announced a bunch of reforms. Again, some people said they were kind of weak sauce, but they were still significant announcements of changes of protocol about internal discipline. Now we have this CCRB reform where he's going to have the commissioner is going to have to, as you said, Harry, explain any differentiation in punishment between what the CCRB has recommended and what the commissioner decides. I mean, you're getting into some very tense stuff here. In addition to the fact that on the other side of the equation, this comes right after the Daniel Pantaleo firing, right? And one of the things, you know, I think overall, you you could absolutely argue that he wasn't a big reformer. We knew he wasn't going to be some sweeping reformer when he took the job, Jimmy O'Neill, right? He wasn't going to be some major, right. right? So putting that aside for a second, you can obviously argue he wasn't enough of a reformer, but this was like a solid, solid police commissioner, right? He wasn't Bill Bratton out there just like saying all sorts of stuff and trying to be on the, on the cover of the newspapers, right? I mean, this was a guy who seemingly didn't want to wage into the politics and just sort of wanted to do the job, improve the department, et cetera. But I thought he made a big mistake when he fired Pantaleo and said that the cop, you know, the the officers are, are going to be mad at me, and if I was one of them, I'd be mad at me too. 
I thought that was a huge mistake Mm -hmm. to put that out there. And if you believe that firing Pantaleo was the right thing to do, then then officers should not be mad at you for doing it. You're you're in charge. I thought that overall PR, you know, just like the the pitch and and the message to New Yorkers and the world really that we're watching Mm -hmm. was off. And I thought that was a a bad message to rank and file officers. Mm -hmm. And the unions were right there for once that if you did not think that was the uh, right thing to do and you you would have felt differently if you were in any other position like not answering directly to this mayor then you should have quit like i i don't give them much credit for much but like that seems straightforward to me like you have to be on one side of this or the other mm-hmm. that, that 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 was right or that was wrong that is something an officer can do and get retraining or some some punishment or or that is not something that you can accept right but i think also you know we don't want to go too far of course but like it's also this was five years in the making, right? So it's like O'Neill, you're you're now in charge. You're the leader. So guess what? You don't get to be the rank and file with your buddies anymore. Like those days are gone. So now now you're part of the brass, the establishment. You know whatever derogatory terms I'm sure many people of the NYPD called him. But it's like, well then you know what? Heavy is the head that wears a crown. Like that's why you get paid the six figures and they don't. It's like a, it's amazing it. for O'Neill and now Shea. Like you're coming in to be the police commissioner at a time where. In some ways, I mean, this is not that, you know, it's not nowhere near as hard a job as it used to be. In some ways, you have the immense resources at your disposal, but also, you know, it seems to be, you know, the conventional wisdom that like the rank and file hate the mayor, right? And being police commissioner when that's the case is not the easiest thing Right, because do, you're constantly right? trying to run between two parties, and you have, um, you know, your your the mayor is your boss, but you of course want your thirty five thousand uh, underlings to respect you and pay attention to what's coming down from one police plaza. So, you know, that's an interesting theme to watch here in these next couple of years. Sigh, <coughs> and the NYPD, of course, directly relates to what we just saw in the results tonight in the Queens District Attorney race, right? I mean, the criminal justice reforms that are coming both from Albany and then also from individual district attorney offices and within the NYPD all have to merge here. You have any predictions for the Queens uh, borough president race? No, but um, it was very interesting to see Donovan. As Donovan Richards, <laughs> right, city right, council center. member Donovan Richards, right up there next to Melinda Katz as she gave her victory speech. And as Gregory Meeks, the Queens County Democratic Party leader uh, and congressman, was also speaking. I think it was a very different scene than the primary <coughs> night election party. Oh, yes. And uh, I mean, I you know, I've continued to have these sort of flashbacks to Tiffany Caban declaring victory and all the elected officials that were standing next to her thinking, you know, that they were all ascendant, too. And in and some ways, they still literally were literally sneaking but... out of Katz's party. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that Queens, you know, people are going to sleep on a special election for Queensboro president, even in a heightened atmosphere that we have, there'll be more interest than there mm-hmm. would previously. Um, but it's look what happens, right? You get elected borough president. You maybe go become district attorney. Maybe you're running for mayor next. You know, you're the next public advocate, controller, whatever. I mean, these positions are springboards, so right. it's worth paying attention to. That is true. That's a great note too. Ben, thank you so much for spending yet another election night with us. My pleasure. We thank appreciate you, you. Thanks for having me. F A Q. 
FAQ NYC, a production of Racket Media, is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company, reinventing the economics of journalism and from listeners like you. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research. We recorded this evening at Alex Lynn's apartment. A special thank you goes to Ben Max of Gotham Gazette and Max and Murphy Podcast for joining us this late evening. Our executive producer is Alex Lynn, and Adam Kamara recorded and mixed tonight's episode. Special thank you to Victoria Mendez for taking notes on this episode and Adam Levy for his moral support. Do you want to sit here? I don't care. Where do you Harry want wants to, be to sit next to me? I want you to be I'm comfortable so that you can just let the rhymes flow. We're in your mosques. We're in your schools. We're in your mosques. We're in your schools. We're on your ferry. We're in your mosques. Say no to number two. All of us confined in New York City. We're in the confines of New York City. This is our Pat Lynch image. Ah, <laughs> I'm in I your knew, churches. I didn't know if it was we a got kind of go. We got common sense cops in CCRB your churches. is incontinent. <laughs> <laughs> Say no to number two. Thank you. Thank you. I have a tickle in my throat and I can't seem to get it out. <laughs> <laughs>